Good morning, and welcome to the 12th episode of Classical Voice Canada, where we meet artists and discuss classical voice together. I'm your host, Kira Braun, and I'm so very glad you've joined us today. Today's guest is mezzo-soprano Lindsay Promaine. Thanks for spending time today with us on Classical Voice Canada. It's great to get to meet you, and I'm so excited to get to learn more about you today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do this kind of interview, and I've, I've sure gotten to know a lot about a lot of people. I'm glad to share it too. It, it's really been wonderful how it's been received. I've been following you for a little while now on Instagram and I love your posts. And oh, thanks. <laughs> I, yeah, they're fun. And you've accomplished a lot. And I just want to share a little bit of that with our listeners today. In particular, I guess I don't know a lot of your history, where you actually grew up and things like that. So I would love it if you could tell us where you came from and a little bit about your earliest recollection of singing. I'm from Aurora, Ontario, which <laughs> is about, yeah, which is about an hour north of the city. I was there on the weekend for Thanksgiving and it was, it's a really beautiful place to grow up and to go back to visit. And uh, my family is quite musical, generally. My dad uh, works for U of T. He was for a long time head of jazz studies and now is, oh. um, is a prof continues to be a professor there and is a professional trombone player, composer, <laughs> arranger, etc. And his brother, head of woodwinds at Humber Jazz, his sister is also head of music at the Country Day School. So very, a lot of music. Wow. My, bro my brother is a professional musician. He plays trumpet and we've collaborated in the past, which is so fun. Because uh, cool. he also, he's also an excellent musician. His wife is a musician. <laughs> so I do come by it very honestly. <laughs> well, those family dinners must be a lot of fun. Well, my poor mother, she, um, my parents are high school sweethearts. They met in band in high school. Wow. And even at Thanksgiving, you know, we'll all be sort of, I mean, certainly never gossiping, never, but just, you know, sharing, sharing our lived experiences. And my mom will just go, all right, so changing the topic now. <laughs> I'm like, all right, sorry, mom, we got carried away <laughs> again. Oh, I so guess she's a really good sport at the dinner oh table. I guess you've heard a lot of band camp stories then, hmm? Oh, please. I went to band camp. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I was there. I, those are my stories. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, actually I was, we were talking about, I went to IMC interprovincial music camp and that was the first time speaking of like first musical experiences. That was the first time I felt that many like-minded people in one place. And we were putting on a production of, Oh, like guys and dolls or the whiz or high school musical and just really, like really fun productions but it was the first time I really felt there were other people like me oh. and it was such a validating experience and just it was so significant in my musical development and and I'm a total theater kid love musical theater that's how I initially got into it because my dad would play um, the theater shows in Toronto so Cat, Sound of Music, 
my take your kid to work day was Pippin. And uh, yeah, so, so sitting in the pit with my dad was something that became more and more comfortable. And that was talk about incredible exposure to theater and all these amazing musicians and also seeing how quickly they pack up at the end of a show. Cause they're like, we gotta go. Like, I, <laughs> so just like the, you know, there's the magic of the theater and then the lights come on and then they're out, they gotta go. <laughs> So that's really my first, my most significant memory because you get to talk to them and you get to, you know, see, you know, on stage, the costumes look so beautiful and the makeup is so beautiful, but up close, it looks very, very different. And they're, and they're, you know, standing in the wings with their hand on their hip talking about, oh, I got to meet my kid's teacher tomorrow. And that's not going to, you know, like that, they're just people. So that was such a humanizing very cool experience for me. I feel very fortunate to have that. And you must have also, it sounds like, gotten a taste of the business side of things then, just observing that you realize that, okay, it's wonderful to make music and to be in a production together and feel that camaraderie and that joy of of music making, but there's also a business side and it looks a little bit like this. So that's probably something a lot of people aren't exposed to early on, right? Absolutely. And especially with uh, instrumentalists in particular, it is a, I believe it's a similar animal, but it is different in a lot of ways Uh, and it's really interesting to observe that so my learning curve starting my education as a singer was quite steep because I thought even even with breathing I I was taught breathing as a brass player I mean I I played trombone in high school I used the I used the term played very loosely it (laughs) it it happened (laughs) and I was evaluated somehow but it happened and uh and I was taught breathing as a brass player which is a great deal of pressure and the apoja mm-hmm. was something of the ribs and the lean uh was something that uh that was that was another steep learning curve and i was fortunate to have very patient teachers who accepted and saw my experiences as valid experiences but said okay but you know we need to change this and i allowed myself to be influenced uh by that bit by bit Certainly yeah. with resistance, but bit by bit, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to unlearn something that you've been or had ingrained in you from an early age. But... Yeah, yeah. But again, like I lucked out with great mm-hmm. teachers and they were so kind to me and so incredibly patient. So I feel very, very yeah. fortunate to have had that. So growing up in a family with all that music and and it seems like a lean toward the jazz side of things, was there a lot of opera in your early life or was that something that then you decided, okay, I want to go in this direction? How did that happen? That's a great question. How how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, there was certainly a lot of jazz and uh, again, very thankful that my family has great taste in music. just even we never listened to a lot of music in the house but you know just the which is very common for a lot of musicians there's enough music in our minds we don't need any more necessarily uh and yeah definitely a lot of jazz definitely a lot of exposure to great canadian jazz um a lot of uh education on canadian artists certainly so my brother and i both have a pretty uh solid understanding at least of what we like i'm not claiming to be encyclopedic but i certainly know what i like and certainly know why i like it right. and that's and i think that's 
that's, that's good enough for me. But I started singing when I was uh, 16 or 17. I was uh, an Irish dancer for mm. my whole childhood and competed and trained and did all that, the wigs and the dresses and the, the whole, the whole lot. It. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was awesome performance competition experience. So when I decided that part of my life was finished and wanted to sing, my parents were super supportive of that. And my dad just encouraged me just to do a Google search. So that's how I learned about uh, Beverly Sills, Kathleen Battle, Kathleen Ferrier, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, just like Montserrat Caballé, who else? Maury Forster, like the whole, mm -hmm. the whole gang. And just from a Google search. So thankfully for me, that was very accessible. <laughs> and uh, had it not been, I wouldn't have had, I mean, I had such a little scope of singing already would have been even smaller so i'm very thankful for again we're speaking of thank goodness for technology right very, very thankful for uh, a search engine of any kind at that time and then that way i learned about um uh winton marsalis and kathleen battles oh, yeah. um baroque duets one of my all-time favorites Fantastic. Uh, and a great documentary that goes with that so again like just from being encouraged to be um, a self-starter in terms of my own education and very supportive. And that's kind of, I guess they say the rest is history. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. So you auditioned for opera school right away or did you start in a music program at U of T? So I did my bachelor's at U of T. Okay. And I studied with Jean McPhail, uh, who is, oh, she's the best. And I, I should say Gene McPhail and David Iliakis because I've been yes. coaching with David for much to his chagrin for a very long time. <laughs> but uh, just such, again, patient, kind, hard lessons, very like awesome dream team. Yes. Amazing. Before that, I studied with Irene Illich in Newmarket and she, oh. and she was the first one to have ever said, you're an artist and you need to start calling yourself one. Huh. And that was a big, that was a big deal. Cause I was like, okay, like whatever. And, and then really understood the significance of that. So um, yeah, Irene started it all. Then we went to Jean and David for my bachelor's at U of T and then went into the opera school directly following. So that was a six year stint at U of T and I studied with uh, Miss Wendy Neal. Yeah, it felt like about a thousand years. Uh, it was very intense. Uh, but in the opera school, I started studying with uh, Wendy Nielsen. And yeah. that was very cool. Nice. So what did you love the most about it? And at the same time, what was the hardest part of all of those six years? I think that it was six years was the hardest part. <laughs> it was like, it was very intense. Yeah, it, it's a long time for anything. And at U of T, it's a very academic school and they don't try to hide that. They're very honest about that. So especially in my undergrad, when you're, you start when you're like 17 or 18 and having to manage living in a new city and with a new peer group and a new this and new and new and new, yeah. uh, certainly that was really challenging even learning the building and logistical things like that were really challenging. I would say the most challenging was in the opera school. I basically did uh, what brass players would call the equivalent of an embouchure change where basically my whole idea of support had, was being uh, 
really challenged. And also Wendy said to me, have you considered high lyric mezzo repertoire? Because I was thinking much lower. For instance. Yeah. Cause it felt really comfortable. It's very close to my speaking range, yes. but actually I sit much higher and I feel <laughs> happier up there. Yeah, it is. It's just, huh. So I, <laughs> and it's something that takes consistent support. It takes consistency in general. And that was very challenging because in the opera school, it's great because you get so many performance opportunities. Uh, it was also really difficult for me because you get so many performance opportunities. And I felt very... I want to be in everything. Well, yeah, but also going through this big change, I just didn't want anybody to see me. If I could have just like hid in a practice room for six months and like sorted it out, mm-hmm. but they don't let you do that. And I learned that's like, well, you know what? Life also just doesn't really work that way. It's not going to stop and wait for you. Yeah. And if you choose to do that then really, uh, then that's on you. Then that's, that's, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So that was a really hard lesson. And uh, also in the opera school, there's not that many of you. So it was great because I had a really good year, lots of supportive colleagues. We could have open conversation, open dialogue about support and vowels and who are you listening to? And what did you think of this performance at the COC? And we could have really great talks about that. So yeah, lots of, lots of ups and downs at, at U of T, but if U of T was very, very good to me, I'm really thankful for that. That's great to hear. And it's interesting that you say about the support and your range and everything. Uh, When I hear you sing, I hear a very mature, beautiful mezzo sound. It's so rich. And I, I had to ask myself, how does someone so young get that sound, but it, it's so natural for you. It seems, Th- seems thanks, natural. Yeah. yeah, thanks. It feels really natural and it's feeling more and more that way. Again, it's, it's challenging because I love singing Messiah and, you know, Mahler too and uh, Bach and all those guys, Beethoven as well, mm-hmm. but also um, singing arias like Kerfetsu, and people would, will, they'll say, oh, you, when you sing Carmen, I'm like, oh, I'm actually more of a Mercedes. And then they look at me as though I don't know myself. And I go, that's okay. Just go to my website and check it out. And that's, it's all good. I love how excited people are about my sound. Had someone told me that like 10 years ago, I just totally wouldn't have believed them. So I just, I really do feel like when I sing now and listen to it, it's, we're taking away more and more of what doesn't belong. And it's, and it's exciting. And especially in this time when again, now I'm, I'm sort of unfortunately getting that wish of being put away for six months and sorting out that yeah big eye roll for sure. Would not wish this. I'm like, this is not what I meant. It's not what I meant, universe. It's, I didn't mean that. So now it's, it's great because I can make time every day or if not every day as much as I can to just really slowly sort all that out. But singing's feeling good. I'm glad to have singing during these times for sure. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you're keeping up with it because there are lots who still can't find the heart to use their voice. I mean, who are we gonna use our voice for right now? But I believe you have to keep your chops up 
And then it's quite possible that some will emerge on the other side of this in a completely different frame of mind, a completely different voice. And that's wonderful. Like you say, we've had that six months to percolate and blossom and, and do all those things, or even experiment a little bit with stuff that we weren't sure. Can I really do that? And, or do I want to sound this way? And yeah, so that's great. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. Like, do I want to sound this way? Because so much of it is up to us. Like, do I want to sing this? Do I want to sound this way? And, and it's great because now, like, if you just don't put it on social media, no one knows <laughs> that you're messing around experimenting with this repertoire. Like, that's, that can be your own secret. That's your prerogative. And that's yeah. totally, that's totally fine. So do you practice pointedly every day and work? On no, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we are human then. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I, I mean, there are days where I'm a runner and a yoga person and that makes me feel really good and really fuels my singing in a good way. But other days I'm like, I'm going to sit in sweatpants and watch the Real Housewives of New York and, <laughs> and get takeout. And it's, yeah, there are some days where like you just don't want to yeah as long as the for me i say as long as the work gets done it will it'll get done in its own time yeah. and the sky won't fall if i don't practice today yes so yeah. especially now the idea of self-preservation has been very much Huge. uh top of mind for me so if it doesn't feel good right now then well let me just see how i feel about it in an hour yeah. Maybe, maybe I won't give up today, but maybe I just need to take a walk or maybe I just need to do just literally anything else and then come back to it. That's right. And it's, I find that I come up here and I sing usually when the spirit moves me or something makes me think, oh, I'm in good voice today. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's not a prescribed time and it's not a, I have to practice today. It's a, okay. Yeah. I feel like maybe it could work. <laughs> so up we go. Totally. And some days you're just like really pumped about what it is that you're working on, or you're just feeling really good in your body. It's like, I have to, do, I have to go right now. Like I need to sing this right now. <laughs> before this feeling leaves me and yeah absolutely like when the spirit is moving through you to do it I that's I can't think of any better time to sing than then <laughs> that happened to me yesterday and I'll tell you a secret I had my shower and did my hair and everything and I got my top part dressed and I came in here in my underpants and sang <laughs> <laughs> it was just silly, but no one will know. Well, I just told everybody. Well, there you go. No one will ever see. <laughs> and it was quite liberating, actually. I think everybody should do that. I know. That, that is so fun. I love that. Good for you. That's great. <laughs> silly, but it's true. It's true. Let's talk about some of your experiences then. So I noticed on your bio that you've done some really cool master classes. And the one that popped out, of course, was the one with Julius Drake when he, he was in town a couple of years ago, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what was that like to work with him? Julius Drake is just an incredible person and musician. Uh, I got to work with him when I was a fellow with the Toronto Summer Music Art of Song program. His musicianship is so incredibly fine. 
And we worked on some Schubert and some Britain of Charm of Lullabies mm. and uh, Fête Galante of Debussy. And he's, he asks so much of his singers, but I do believe it's because he feels that they can uh, step up to the task. And that was, it was very significant. And I think of a public masterclass when myself and pianist Leona Chung, we were performing Dubistiru uh, of Schubert. Yes. And with that, the lines are so long. It <laughs> looks so simple on the page, but then it'll like hashtag dead mezzo if like it's not <laughs> careful because it, it just, I don't know why it looks so simple, but it's one of these like great yeah. wonders of the world. So then uh, um, it's great because Julius also in terms of his pianists, he really lets them sort it out. He's not jumping all over the keyboard saying it has to be like this, right. which as a teacher, I think that those cues are really important. Yes, modeling is really important, but to a certain point, that autonomy is uh, important as well. Mm -hmm. And then he said, can I just, can I just try something? And just like such a polite British sensibility. He said, do, do you mind if I just sit and play? And so singing Dubastiru with Julius Drake was pretty incredible. And there was something about just his baby toe was on the gas in terms of direction of the line. I don't know. I still yeah. don't know how he does that, but it was just so, such an awesome experience. And it's such, such a great festival, such a great program and very cherished memory for sure. It takes you right out of, okay, I'm just going to sing this little lead into what do I need to bring to the table to, to make this lead actually speak to us and the pulling out the emotional part of what is being said what what are those words to me that is that's what leader is all about it's obviously the line and the notes and and the sound that you make but it's to me it's the words and I find that that is one of the last things to develop in a lot of singers where yeah they can sing it but to really bring out the meaning that's it's huge yeah that's a pretty vulnerable experience to do of to color each word in a way that you can stand by that's and it's i totally agree with you it's so hard because <laughs> also that also takes a lot of academic integrity because by doing that you're implying that you know what every single word means mm -hmm. And so, and some, and sometimes that's hard. And I'll be honest, there are times when you're called into a concert last minute. It's like, can you learn something in a week? Mm. And it's really just like that, that happens, unfortunately. And yeah. you just like, you have an idea of what's, what it's about, but it's not enough. And particularly working with Julius, the emphasis on what does every word mean and what are you going to do with it was, we talked about that a lot. Yeah. And particularly in the Britain if you know uh, A Charm of Lullabies for the song Charm, A Charm, excuse me, um, Irene's whip thee with a snake and cruel Radamanthus take thy body to the boiling lake. Uh, very dark imagery, pers uh, persuading a child to go to sleep. Oh, You know, wow. that's one parenting style. And uh, with that, he said, okay, so who are all these people and what do they do? So, and how are you going to show us that they're dangerous and it's not just a grocery list things like that that were so significant and so transferable and that was the best part of the program that it wasn't you can only apply this to leader or to chanson it was really to storytelling yes and it was a certainly a game changer for me that was it was a yeah it, it was great loved it 
Well, and every time we get up to sing, it's about telling a story. Fantastic. I'm so glad you had that experience. I missed it. I wanted to go and see and hear and learn and it just some for some reason didn't happen. But <laughs> who else have you done master classes with that have sort of stuck in your mind? Well, my very first ever master class was with Mary Lou Fallis in oh, the New Market awesome. Voice Festival. It was awesome. Yeah, she's so, and oh, she's just so great. Especially if you know that she did a, uh, a concert, a recital uh, tour with Peter Tiefenbach. Yep. Uh, and they're just forces to be reckoned with. Like what, <laughs> just they're such firecrackers, so incredible. But my first ever masterclass, and I'd been singing at this point for two or three months. And I think I brought probably a barber song and with, you know, the voice festivals, similar to Kiwanis or the Lions Club. And uh, you go down the line to get your adjudication. And then uh, Miss Fallis says to me, uh, so how long have you been singing? And I said, oh, since September. And she says, of what year? And I said, of this year. And she says, oh, you'll be fine. And then she just moved on. <laughs> Oh, wow. And I just went, oh, okay, thank, thank you so much, Ms. Fallis. Like, it was a great adjudication because there's like, especially with English art song, it's always something to do. Yeah. And, uh, and that, was, that was my very first one. <laughs> and I was just, <laughs> and, oh, it was, it, was, it was so great. And she was so incredibly encouraging and positive. And then uh, in the opera school, I, I had the deep privilege of singing for um, Sandra Ravonovsky, mm -hmm. which I wasn't supposed to because I was an alternate. And then you find out that morning, oh, you're going to sing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you ready? <laughs> of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, at U of T Opera, they do a great job. If you're alternate, if you're on the list at all, you are coaching. You're in there. Sandra Horst and Michael Abano, that they can like sky is blue and grass is green they know their singers are ready and yeah. and uh yeah it was va la secoule and it was we did some great work on it and again so kind and and master classes are hard those are hard because you're on display and you know trying to be practically perfect in every way mm -hmm. even though singing's not really like that <laughs> and uh but and, and it's hard like you're on display and they're they're getting you to sometimes like literally stand on your head or dance or do things that you're not comfortable with um and Sandra was great because we could just have a conversation and she spoke very plainly about anatomy and pedagogy and it was great and I almost didn't do it <laughs> wow yeah that sounds like one of those stepping on stage at the last minute to fill a role you know as an understudy and how exciting that must be but just even to have that opportunity for a master class that that's so cool and with Sandra she is a true inspiration oh I, truly a queen she sang the yes. queens she is a queen it was just oh just so so special yeah yeah the first time I heard her sing live was Roberto Devereaux and uh my was, favorite yes yeah yeah fantastic production and she just blew me away and I was in ring five you know and she still <laughs> blows you away and she right. sang right to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything crystal clear and absolutely gorgeous so i'm so happy that you had that experience too that's that's really cool what was there a funny story uh anything that happened that was kind of funny during any of those master classes 
I was honestly, I think the one with Mary Lou Fallis, that was my, just, she's like, oh, you'll be fine. I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, but honestly, I was so nervous. I, I still get really nervous to sing. I mean, I have a pretty healthy ongoing, I mean, I say healthy, haha, ask me again tomorrow, but pretty good relationship with my general anxiety and performance anxiety. You know, it's not something that I like to stuff in a closet. You give it a voice and then say, okay, I'm not jumping in front of traffic. I'm okay. Yeah. So it's challenging though, because during that time, it wasn't that way. And I was so incredibly afraid of being judged that masterclasses were a great experience. They weren't really that fun for me. The only time I really started enjoying it was when I was a fellow with Toronto Summer Music. Uh, and then before, before that, honestly, not to be Debbie Downer, but it really wasn't fun. It was valuable and really important for my development, but I was just like, my knees knock when I get nervous. So my knees were knocking. It was uh -huh. just brutal. It was hard, but you know, I can listen back to the recordings and go, okay, good experience next time. Just like, yeah. just chill out a little bit. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Well, those things prepare you for auditions and stage presence and everything, but I hate auditioning for that. I, I'm mm -hmm. actually much better, more comfortable in a master class than I am in an audition. And they should really be the same thing in terms of what you get up there and do. But uh, for whatever reason, master class, I'm cool. Audition, nope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone has their own what they prefer to do. I feel that way about uh, recording now. And now um, that we're in a time that we do so much recording, I just sort of say to myself, you're just going to have to get over it because you're going to have to do this. If I would take any live audition over a recording, it's really? the, per the permanence of it. I find so challenging. <laughs> and being from a family of musicians where um, recording sessions are not uncommon, you know, missing thanksgiving meals or missing birthdays for recordings was right. not so, i mean like unfortunate but not so uncommon yeah um yeah. that it was around me so much and yet i've had such little practice doing it that it's something now i'm like okay i don't like doing it that means i should probably be doing it way more so uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see i mean i say that now but uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, even the fact that you're thinking about it and realizing that it's a, a discomfort that you would still say, okay, I got the, I've got what it takes and I'm going to go try this on now. Fantastic. It's a great yeah. philosophy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's very challenging. I'd love to continue doing what's comfortable, but we're all being challenged right now. We're all having to make yeah. sacrifices right now. I think the least that I can do is stand and sing in front of a camera. <laughs> so you're talking about video recording as opposed to just a sound recording then? Oh, either really. Yeah. E yeah. Either I find, I find pretty challenging because it's so easy to go in and uh, oh, I didn't like that vowel. And, and then you mess up a word and oh my God. And if it's not one thing, it's another. And then, oh, my hair looks weird. I got to do it again. And why am I, why am my fingers doing that? And, but again, shifting the attitude towards it is a necessary next step for yeah. sure. Yeah. Very, very smart. So <laughs> I love your spirit. Thank you. <laughs> Since you've graduated, I've read 
just a whole long list of accolades. Lots of wonderful comments about your delivery, your voice, and your, your stage presence and performance ability. And you've gotten a, a nomination for a Dora Award. What, what was that for? Tell us. Oh my gosh. Um, it was for, I, I sing with the COC chorus, Canadian Opera Company chorus. And that mm -hmm. was for our production of Turndot for Outstanding oh. Ensemble. We were nominated and I found out on Twitter <laughs> on a day that, so I, I teach uh, as my full-time position. And uh, during that remote period, and this was in the thick of uh, quarantine, in the thick of lockdown <laughs> and going through some uh, like personal challenges at that time as well, yeah. just the worst day. And then I stumbled across this and I just went, wait, what really? And then text a few friends, like, is this for real? Is this like, what does this mean? <laughs> and cause I'd forgotten about, it. I, of course, if you're an artist in Toronto, you know about the Doras, but it just wasn't yeah. on my radar and it was so exciting. So it took a, a very not so good day into a very exciting, very cool day. And that very, was very your, cool. that was your debut, wasn't it? As a COC chorus member. My uh, debut was in Otello. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very nice. So yeah. how, many, how many productions have you been in now in the chorus? Just those two Just so those far. Two? But I very much hope to be in more because be being in the, the, in the chorus, it's awesome because there's so many of you. So it's great. If you have a question about anything, there's someone who's there who can answer it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, singing about good coffee around the rehearsal space, mm -hmm. like whatever you need to know, someone has an answer. Yeah. And in terms of the professional development, watching Tamara Wilson as Turndot and as Desdemona and Otello, I, I, there was um, a fellow chorister of mine said, you go and you watch, go watch. And I was really encouraged by my peers to go watch and observe oh. just even just technique because like Tamara Wilson, like what a powerhouse also <laughs> just, so kind and such a nice human to be around and you just watch her totally lined up and almost not even thinking about it total duck on the water i presume yeah. but then she's also communicating so honestly she's playing between seasons like two totally different characters we have desdemona yeah. who is so lovable and we empathize with her so much and then with Turandot, not so much the case. Three questions and you're out. <laughs> Three strikes you're out, I guess. And um, just seeing her craft and the specificity of her craft in rehearsals and on the stage and seeing how they translate, just being able to watch that from a distance was mm -hmm. incredible, was such a valuable experience. I love that. Yeah, it's so inspiring. Mm. I know I've felt it and seen it and yes. yeah, it's just, it, it really is wonderful. <laughs> I see you were a Sidgwick scholar as well. And I know what that is. And uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe you can tell our listeners, what is a Sidgwick scholar? And uh, tell us about the time that you spent as a Sidgwick scholar with the Orpheus choir and under the baton of Bob Cooper that, uh, I'm just so excited that you did that. And uh, I want to know what, what was that like for you and what kind of impact did that have on you? What kind of impact did Bob have on you? 
when you said, I want to know, I just started thinking, I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about a a mindful of music. (laughs) If you're a Sidgwick scholar, that is a paid section lead position uh, for students in the Orpheus Choir of Toronto. It is funded by the Sidgwick family or the Sidgwick family fund. And I was a Sidgwick scholar in the 2014-15 season. That was my first year in the U of T Opera School. And Bob has an unmatched work ethic. Yep. He is incredible. (laughs) Like he's such a fun man to be around, but also (laughs) when it's time to work, it is time to work. We have 90 minutes and we're doing it. And particularly in an ensemble where everyone reads music, but it's an amateur ensemble. And the sound that he produces from them and with Chorus Niagara as well, it's, I'm like, how do you do that? But that's technique and that's craft and that's practice and that's years of experience and getting up at 6 a.m. to score study and all all the things I'm sure that he does. The, the, um, The Orpheus Choir was very significant because Bob really encouraged me to step up in terms of leadership. I was very used to other people leading because I was so young. And in that position, he really encouraged me like, okay, and like, here we go. Oh, okay. Like, and sometimes you just need, like, you know how to do it, but you just need someone to just sort of almost jump up behind you and scare you sometimes. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) So that was so valuable. Leadership and professionalism behaving like a professional. Because frankly, he doesn't have time for anything less. He's so busy. Now he's also very patient. Did I make mistakes as a student in that ensemble? 100%. Of course, you're just figuring it out. There's a lot of other life stuff going on. And he was, he was very understanding and really gave me a lot of chances to step up as a professional and as a young leader. And it was great. I would encourage every young singer in the GTA to sing for Bob Cooper. And he hired me for my first Messiah. It was, oh. that was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. With Chorus Niagara, right? Yeah. In St. Yes. Catharines and Grimsby, Ontario. Oh. And it was, and it was, it was my first Messiah. It was at Baroque pitch. And right. uh, yeah, it was like so many things going on at once, but it was, it was great because he really wanted to coach it with you. It was very collaborative he was very involved, an awesome first Messiah. Baroque pitch, that's a big half step, but uh, <laughs> especially in refiner's fire, I think that's down to F sharps or F naturals. It was a little, yeah, yeah. We, were in the ba- we are in the basement. And it was, it was great. It was, Bob is a wonderful, wonderful man. He was very good to me. That's wonderful to hear. And I think that to have had him as a mentor, which he is also to me, is a really great starting point for any artist. And it seems like you've now taken a path to being a mentor to others. And I I just love that. I'm so impressed. Tell us why you do this mentoring and what you're involved with these days. Sure. I believe that peer-to-peer mentorship is kind of what makes the world go round because there are times where you're not able to go to your teacher, professor, coach, et cetera, 
for whatever reason, particularly as a young singer, maybe you're afraid it's a silly question or you're afraid of your own dialogue, insert emotion here, and being able to ask your peers and having that peer network is really important and something that I wish I had had more of, particularly in my undergrad when I had so many questions, so many fundamental questions. And now I'm involved with Opera and Reach, who are just such fabulous, wonderful people. And our, our mandate is examining the civic impact and, and justice through opera. And uh, it's been such a huge learning experience for me as well, because it's learning how to talk about those issues, particularly in this climate. And it's been great because that for me is also peer-to-peer -peer mentorship. I'm learning through my peers how to speak about this. I have an idea, but through colleagues of mine who are much more practiced, I'm able to see what they do and adjust my style based on that. And that's a big deal. It's a really important skill that we know how to speak about racial and civic justice in a way that is eloquent and respectful and accurate. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I'm only learning that recently, unfortunately, but the work has started and it's very much top of mind. And other kinds of mentorship I do, I teach piano and singing. I love working with kids. It is a super creative experience. And kids are so fun. And even now, all the lessons are remote. So they're learning from home and I'm teaching from home yeah. through online platforms. And honestly, they impress me so much because they log themselves on. They apologize if they're running a couple minutes late and they want to tell you about their day. They want to show you their Lego. <laughs> and it's so fun in that way. It gets me sort of excited about music and just about middle C, D, E, do, re, mi. It kind of gets you excited about that, the base of that language again. And yeah, and just, it's, it's a weekly episode of kids say the darndest things. Like <laughs> it's, they're just so, they're so funny. My poor family, every time I see them, I'm like, I have to tell you about this because it was so funny. <laughs> I'm like, no, but, but like, but this one's really good. And they're like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Lindsay. I'm so glad that I fell into that. I needed a job after school. So I started teaching mm -hmm. and now I work for this wonderful place called the Holy Trinity School in Richmond Hill, where that's amazing people, wonderful community, great kids, great families. And, and they let me do my own thing. They let me be who I am as an artist. And I get a lot of coaching through ongoing professional development. And all of these are transferable between teaching and singing because they all deal with people. Yes. <laughs> They're all people-based businesses. So, so it's great. Yeah. And mentorship, it's super important. I think we need more of it. And now we're at a time where everyone's at home in front of a screen. We can all make time for it, which is a really exciting opportunity. Mm -hmm. I love that they bring their Lego and show you. That's so sweet. And it's like you're yeah. a part of their family, somebody they really look up to and they want, they want you to say, isn't that wonderful? Oh, I, I hope so. And, and what I really like about um, the Holy Trinity School HTS is that my singing profile isn't a secret. It's not, oh, well, you're a teacher and that's that. Mm -hmm. Well, no, because I think um, they, they, well, I know that they value my background as a performer and 
I really, really appreciate that more than they know because it's not anything that I have to hide. I tell the families I teach, I have a concert coming up. You are welcome to come and here's the information and here's my website and here's everything you need to know about it. I would love it if you were there. And a lot of my, my kids are quite little, so sometimes it is a bedtime issue, but, yeah. but especially now with a concert that we've pre-recorded, they could watch it really on demand, yeah. which is an upside to the time that we're in because you can see all this awesome programming when it's convenient for you, which is yes. incredible, which I really like because I'm like, oh, I need to take a nap, but maybe in an hour I'll watch this concert. <laughs> Or instead of parking your kids in front of cartoons on Saturday morning, they get to absolute watch. yes, totally no Bugs Bunny. We're watching opera today. What <laughs> or whatever they whatever they watch. But I say Bugs Bunny because that's my influence. But exactly. How have you grown and changed as an artist since you left university? What's your perception now of what you need to bring? I've changed as an artist in the sense that I realized that I get to make a lot more decisions than I gave myself permission to as a student. That was a big deal. I'm very, I I can be very obedient, very with dance training. You say jump, I say how high. (laughs) And realizing that when you leave school, you can still go back for lessons as much as you want. Mm -hmm. They don't feel free anymore because you're not paying a tuition and you have to, you know, e-transfer your life away. So that was, that was a big, like, Oh yeah, I have to pay for this now. (laughs) That was, that was a big thing I learned as a, as a young artist, but also that in terms of what I sing and where I want to sing it, a lot of those decisions are up to me that I am much more in the driver's seat. Um, much more autonomy. And initially that was incredibly daunting because you told a secret and I'll tell a little secret too. (laughs) I have never been accepted to a young artist program that I've auditioned for. And this is my fifth year out of school and I've never gotten in. I got to the finals one year of the Atelier Lyrique in Montreal. I have never gotten in. And that was something that I thought you had to do. So when I didn't succeed there, I felt a great deal of failure and disappointment naturally because I thought that the next logical step wasn't possible for me. So then that allowed me to, sorry to use the word pivot, but I will pivot (laughs) if I hear that word one more time. But that's what led me to singing a lot more uh, art song and more chamber music and contemporary music because... I just felt a little bit more in control of that. I can learn the repertoire that I want to and see if somebody wants to produce it. Or if Tapestry uh, you know, calls me and says, we're doing this new piece. Are you interested in doing it? No one's ever done it before. Absolutely. Who doesn't want to be first? Yeah. That to me is very exciting. The greatest lesson is that I have a lot more choice than I think that I do. That's wonderful. That, that, was, a, that was a big a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said you figured it out after you didn't get accepted that that's okay. It's okay. And it wasn't the be all and end all to the next step. And you figured that out yourself. 
Yeah, well, certainly I allowed myself to be influenced by a lot of people when they say, well, it's okay, you know, you're going to find your way, you're going to figure it out. If you even accept a teaspoon of that to be true, that's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And certainly learning in a conservatory style, you are often taught that there's one way because that's the most traditional way. And that's the way that's been around for the longest. And that has seen the most mainstream success. And totally, if that works for you, it's a great way to go through that. If that works for you. Mm -hmm. And what I like is I've always liked doing a number of things at once. So now that I realize in terms of my own professional temperament, maybe that wouldn't have been the best thing for me because that wouldn't have allowed me, and I say maybe because I really don't know because I don't have that experience, but I wouldn't have been able to teach or teach random master classes in North York on a Saturday morning or to learn contemporary music or because learning temporary music, I also learned at a school, takes forever if you want to learn it correctly. And it's hard though, because with contemporary music, the composers are still alive. So they know if your music, if their music is being done correctly or not. You nailed it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They're sitting right there. (laughs) Like, hello, hello, dear folks. That was not a tritone. My apologies. (laughs) But that's what rehearsal's for. Why did they have to make the intervals so hard? (laughs) Oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) Actually, I received great guidance from Véronique Lacroix. She is the director of the Ensemble Contemporain de Montréal, and she runs the contemporary music program at Orford Musique. And when I was, we we did excerpts of Pierre Lunaire, which was so exciting. Yeah. And, and she encouraged me not to sing the intervals, but to sing the pitches. So it was, inter- it was interesting. And she's coming from this from a non-vocal uh, standpoint. She's a flautist. Oh. And it was significant because, and she encourages her musicians to uh, work in fixed do. So that it's, you're singing do, you're singing re, you're singing it's the, the pitches, they don't change yes. based on the key there. And, and especially with atonal music, you, uh, it, it, it just makes more sense to do that for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she said to sing the pitches instead of the intervals, that was, it was a perspective that, that was so helpful at that time, particularly with, uh, with tone row. Yes. So instead of thinking about where you just came from, just think about what that next pitch is. Yeah. Yeah. Or even it's, it's like an exercise in being present. It's a great exercise in mindfulness because you're thinking about the now, the now, now, now. And it was, it was great. And then you string it together later. Yeah. Ha. That's really cool to hear. So you've done art song, oratorio, modern music or contemporary music and opera. Is opera your favorite thing or do you just love all of it? I just kind of like all of it. Huh. Uh, yeah, it was great because going to the opera school was such, I mean, obviously you're exposed to opera. It's called the opera school. It's called the <laughs> opera division. And it was great because even uh, hearing, you know, the Jewel song, hearing Avant de quitter ses lieux over and over, Liebenhausen, 
hearing that over and over, but it's great because then you get to learn which composers you like to. So mm-hmm. I, opera was such a great foundation for me just in terms of performance practice and the grandeur of the repertoire, but then also seeing the different sizes of canvases mm-hmm. that are in music. I love art song because the canvas is smaller and you can use finer strokes and they read. Yeah. Whereas in opera, I, I would get frustrated by that because the choices that I wanted to make wouldn't read. They were, they were too small. Yeah. So I like art song particularly for that reason. And I like contemporary music and chamber music for that reason. And I like that collaborative aspect, that decisions that you make, you can make together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it is nice having a maestro saying, I need you to take more time there. Yeah, totally. That it's, it's sometimes nice to allow that direction to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but on every report card as a kid, I got Lindsay is, um, has strong leadership skills and is very social, which now I know is she's bossy and she's chatty. So <laughs> I think for this reason, <laughs> as far as a teacher, I had a full, wait a minute, hang on a second, everyone. I just learned something about myself. <laughs> and in terms of have, working in smaller ensembles, that's been really exciting for me because, again, you get to make decisions mm-hmm. together. You get to have a conversation with, with, yes, fewer people, but everyone gets a say if they want to have one. Yeah. So that, that part of it is really exciting to me. And with, with piano and voice, uh, chamber music, that's great because it's a two-person conversation. Yeah. So just in terms of the ease of that, uh, you can make decisions quite quickly if you want to. Sometimes with an orchestra, I would get, you know, it's, it's hard. Maybe, maybe it's me wanting to hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but it's, <laughs> it would be so nice if everyone in an orchestra could have that say, but if you're singing Strauss, that's not possible. Right. Interesting. Do you have a favorite operatic role? Have you already sung your dream role or is it something that you're, is still in the back of your mind you're going to do someday? That's such a great question. I mean, I'd love to sing Carabino. I haven't sung all of Carabino oh. yet. Yeah. Um, but I have sung Hansel. Cool. And that was so cool. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. It was with um, then Metro Youth Opera, now my opera, a Toronto-based indie opera company. And that was great. That was my first role. Very challenging music. It's kind of like uh, Baby Wagner. Yes. And great, because you get to be kids on stage and you get to be silly and there's not much that brings more joy to me than silliness and fun (laughs) and just doing all the things that you're not supposed to do. And it's, and it was just so great. Trouser rolls are great. I am a jeans and t-shirt kind of person. So that suits me very well. And, and that was, again, first role. I got so much support with that. It was such a great experience, but I'd love to sing Carabino Mercedes would be awesome. Yeah, th- those are the those are the main ones. They're pretty pretty uh, pretty classic, but yeah. there's there's truth in that. So yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, I wish you success in finding a carabino somewhere along the line. I'm sure it will happen for you. Maybe a Zoom carabino. Who ah! knows, right? Like <laughs> Zoomabino. Zoomabino. Yes. Oh, hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
You've got a, a cool little Halloween thing coming up, right? With the mm -hmm. Linden Project. Tell us about the Linden Project and about this concert that's coming up. Yeah, the Linden Project rocks. It's run by Julie and Jeremy Ludwig, and it's a Hamilton-based company. Yes. And I love that their mandate is exclusively art song. There's not actually a lot of that, I realize. It's a lot of, if you hear about that kind of mandate, it's chamber music, but for them, mm -hmm. it's, it's, yes, chamber music, but specifically art song. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it, working with them is so fun. They programmed a great concert called Spirits, Hags, and Hexes. <laughs> that goes, awesome name, right? It's, uh, it goes live on YouTube on October 24th at 8.15. Information is found at lindenproject.com. And they really cleverly and beautifully put together this recital. Jeremy Ludwig, baritone, will be singing as well. And we'll be collaborating with Erica Ryman, who just plays so many notes. It's, it's almost exclusively 19th century German repertoire. And, and it's dense. It's the, the uh, accompaniment's dense. And Erica is just so collaborative. It was so fun working with her. And yes. I'm really looking forward to this, this spooky, spooky program that we have, which was pre-recorded. So there's my recording exercise. There you go. Wow. <laughs> so it's done already. And it's gonna, done. You're not going to tell us anything about it to give it away. But what I'm curious about is the amount of research that must have had to go into finding pieces that fit that theme. Yeah, so I didn't actually have a lot of say in it. Uh, Jeremy and Julie approached me with the program, which yeah. was a unique experience for me because I've programmed and produced many a recital to raise funds for whatever summer program, etc. But with this, yeah. they said, oh, well, here's the idea that we have. And it, oh, it, I just went, that sounds great. And what I loved is that they actually looked at my website and saw what I already know in my repertoire and pulled from that. And I was oh, like, fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Because, you know, learning this music, it's strophic verse in German. Uh, I don't speak German yet. So it's, it's a lot. It takes, it takes extra time. And it was, yeah, like really fun repertoire. I will say one of my favorite songs is Leslie Arden, I Eat Children. Oh, ew. Which does not uh, line up with my teaching philosophy per se, <laughs> but it is a really fun song. And I really hope that everyone enjoys it along with the rest of this really beautiful haunting program, pun intended. Sounds great. I am definitely going to tune in for that. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see it and hear it. <laughs> and I love that you said you don't speak German yet. So mm. is that an objective? Well, life is long. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's, who, who's to say that, that I won't? It's, it's not on my radar right now. Um, I have some other projects going on, TBA, and it's certainly on the list. And I speak French fluently and was learning Portuguese at a um, time. And your French is beautiful. I was going to comment on that, the way you speak your French. It, it just, it popped out at me as oh she speaks French oh thank yeah. you oh thanks I my parents really nailed it uh with the education and exposure they provided for my brother and I non-negotiable clauses in my house were French immersion 
and <laughs> piano. So we both are Ontario scholars, which basically means you've graduated grade 12 with French immersion mm -hmm. and grade eight piano. And both have uh, really come in handy, you could say. <laughs> Wunderbar, du hast das gemacht. You Schön. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> we'll genau. Just, <laughs> we'll just kickstart that German now. <laughs> yeah, oh, no time like the present. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Now, you said projects TBA, and my next question was, once this whole COVID mess is over with, what's on the horizon? Do you have something you're you're working on or that is on your books already? Yeah. So going back to our conversation about mentorship, I've started giving workshops like public speaking workshops. And a lot of it is sort of taking the skeletons out of the closet and shining some light on them. A lot of it has to do with professional profile variety. Mm -hmm. So allowing that pie of being an artist to have a lot of variety in it. And what I call, I call that talk, uh, the importance of selling out because the word sell out is something that you hear, but don't really understand. So uh, catering that to uh, some students and young artists, just talking about that and how, if you want to teach and you find that really fulfilling, then go in that direction. If you want to weave baskets and sell them on Etsy. If that fills your bucket, you should do that. If that brings you joy because happy artists sing better. Yeah. That's something that Sandra Ravinowski taught us in the opera school. She says, I sing better when I'm happy. I went, Oh, oh yeah, that, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a great gem. So, so that's been something, uh, giving talks to U of T going to the stomping ground virtually, of course. And with, Pacific Opera Victoria and some other things on the horizon as well, which I'm just really excited to be able to give back to my community. A big part of my philosophy as an artist is the giving back. And uh, now that I'm in a place to do that, it brings me a lot of joy to help people and to not necessarily be, be a mentor. Yes, if that's what, what some people would like for me, I'm, I'm fine to do that. But just to continue a conversation and just to exchange ideas and put a little glitter in the world. Yeah. Lindsay Promaine, motivational speaker. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if it motivates you, cool. Yes. I love that. I'm, I'm open to that idea for sure. Yeah. Again, I was called chatty all throughout school. I'm like, all right, well, we might as well work with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I don't think you're bossy at all. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> well, we have to reframe those words, right? We do. Oh, yes. 100% we do. 100%. I think there is a place for, for bossiness and for leadership. If you've uh, read the book Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, certainly there's a lot of room for that. I think uh, I need to read that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's great. I would recommend it as an audiobook because she reads it and does all the voices. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think there's certainly room for bossy, but I believe there is, there is more room for kindness. And I yeah. think kindness comes first and then everything else follows. I love that. Wow. <laughs> well, Lindsay, you brought us a sublime piece of music to share today. Would you please introduce the piece and tell us a little bit about it? How does it make you feel when you sing it? 
Thank you. This is the alto aria from Mahler's Second Symphony, Ulicht. This is a recording I made with pianist Rachel Kerr in Toronto. And I love this piece because it was first introduced to me by G. McPhail. And it was at the time, she said, very important that I learn this. It's very important that you learn this. And that's also bucket list repertoire to sing yeah. that. I would love that. And it's a beautiful piece about faith and about allowing yourself to be influenced by something greater than yourself. And particularly in this time, faith is, is significant. And I thought this piece would be great for that. And I hope everyone enjoys it. Oh, I'm sure they will. When I listen to it, and I have to tell you, I had never heard it before because I, I myself, I don't know much Mahler, but it just was a really sublime piece for me. Urlicht means primordial light. And when I read the lyrics, the translation, I just thought, how beautiful and what a, what a thing to be able to sing and bring that emotion out. And you did such a beautiful job. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. It really moved me. Oh, thank you so much. I just, I like the idea of ich bin von Gott und Liebe. Like it, that, that, um, the ending of the piece, it's, it's great because I am, I come from God and I return to God. It's, yeah. it's that idea of, of just not, of not being alone and that there is, there's something, and that can be for the listener, whatever yeah. identify, however you identify and what speaks to you and allowing that to change as you need it to. Yeah. And I think it's important that we have that particularly now when there are more and more times of, of loneliness and more times of that uncertainty, that knowing that there's something outside of us, around us, in us, between us, that keeps us all connected. Yeah, that's, it was a, a, the perfect choice for these times. And even though, as we said, we've got all this technology to connect ourselves, there is an awful lot of loneliness and fear right now. And I, I hope that it brings comfort and the realization that we aren't alone and, and that there's also somewhere else beautiful to go, ultimately. <laughs> no, ab absolutely. And just if that brings a little sparkle of hope to your day, then because there's a, there's a lot of science around us and we absolutely need it. It's so important that we have it. But sometimes there's not a lot of hope that comes with science. Yeah. And just having, having that has been, uh, yeah. has, been, has been just such a gift. So yeah, I just hope everyone enjoys this. And a little Mahler every day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> oh. So <laughs> that's my prescription. <laughs> I need to immerse myself a little more there, I think for sure. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your gift with us and all of your wise words as well. And uh, just sharing your, your life story and, and everything. It's been wonderful learning about you and hearing you and getting to know you. It's been so nice to be here. I really appreciate your time and it's just been so much fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. And don't forget everybody to tune in to the Linden Project. Spirits, Hags and Hexes on yes. October 24th. Okay, there's a little plug that we wanted. All right. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Kira. 
You have been listening to mezzo-soprano Lindsay Promaine singing the alto solo from Mahler's Second Symphony, The Resurrection, entitled Urlicht, or Primordial Light. Lindsay is accompanied by pianist Rachel Kerr. Thank you for listening to Classical Voice Canada. We appreciate you.